You and I are made in the image and in the likeness of God. The psalmist says we're fearfully and wonderfully made, that even when we were in our mother's wombs, he was there. He saw us and he never departs from us, that our physical bodies matter, that, that the journey of a faith life with Jesus is being made whole. And yet many of us like struggle with this. Many of us are like functional, like Gnostics that like, oh, the, the body, the physical is bad, but the spiritual is good. And this is just not what we see in the life and the ethic and the love of Jesus that teaches us how to be a human being, being made whole in the fullness and likeness of God. And that is exactly what this series is about, being whole. You're going to want to check it out. There is some kind of a sweet innocence in being human, in not having to be just happy or just sad, in the nature of being able to be both broken and whole at the same time. See, Joy Bell, see. Do not let the roles that you play in life make you forget that you are human. Roy T. Bennett. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you and continued my faithfulness to you. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3. God has a priority, and that priority is you. He created you in His image. Douglas Kiagora. We bear the image of God. We occupy a unique place in God's created order a little lower than the angels, according to the psalmist, Psalm 8, verse 5. We bear the divine imprint in the sense that we possess, amongst other things, an eternal soul, the faculty of reason, and a capacity for moral goodness. We're not just animals with a more developed cerebral cortex. There's a precious dignity inherent in our status as God's image bearers. Robert Tracy McKenzie. I have lived all my life among shadows and broken images. C.S. Lewis. Well, yes, my name is Steve, if you're just joining us. But, uh, you know, I never wanted to be on this, well, on this stage here in this space to be able to teach, maybe cleaning up spaces like this, like organizing, helping out, setting up chairs, helping out with the tech behind the scenes. But yeah, I never wanted to share my story. I always kind of bucked this call of God to get up here and do that. And I think it's because I never liked the start of my story very much. Maybe you're like that a little bit with your story, maybe that's holding you back. So I grew up in a Christian home. Maybe some of you did as well. Uh, but that meant that I heard all the stories of Jesus growing up. I knew who Jesus was. I knew what he'd done. And like, I knew who God was. I knew God created everything. 
and, uh, and all that. I never had this moment to go and figure it out. I never encountered Jesus for the first time when a friend brought me to church. Um, I just grew up with this in my family life. Uh, I first joined the meeting house in 2012, where I met my wife, Whitney. Uh, she's at home with the kids. God bless her. And I pray that they're sleeping right now. They should be just getting down. We came from uptown Toronto. That's uh, when they were launching the Richmond Hill site. And we were part of that. And then we traveled and moved to East Hamilton, where we joined the community there for a couple of years. Then I worked right here in this building in Oakville as part of the rentals team, a team of people that even now as part of our community is working to steward this building as some of the resources that God has given us. In 2017, uh, I was called to pastor a beautiful community near my hometown where my parents live in Chatham, Ontario, full of some really great and beautiful Jesus people. And a year ago, I got the privilege and honor of joining the Sandbanks Meeting House community. Hi, folks. It's good to uh, see you from the screen today. It's a little different, isn't it? But uh, yeah, today I get to share a bit of my story of how I have understood God and myself in the hopes that you will be able to not only learn something, but hopefully experience some of the life of love that you were made for. So I'm going to invite you to do something that might be a little bit uncomfortable, but I hope that you'll join me online here and close your eyes. And I just want you to just take a deep breath and relax. And now I just want you to think about your first image of God, maybe a first memory of who God was. I've got a couple questions for you here. How old were you? Where were you when you had this memory? Were you at a grandparent's home, in your home? Were you in Sunday school with friends? What people were you with? Family? I'm going to invite you to come back and just hold that image while I teach. My image, the image I was given as a child, uh, is going to show up here. It's an empty throne that's uh, raised up on a dais. In my grandparents' uh, church, there was a giant, and I mean like you couldn't miss it, a giant painting, this like illustration. Maybe you've seen one before or heard of it. The two ways, the broad and the narrow way. Um, but on this, on this poster were all these ideas of what happens, how does God reach us when we're alive? What happens when we die? It was all very thought out to help them. But the image that stuck with me was this image of God in the judgment. And, uh, I don't know, but somebody's going to probably want to come look at the, uh, microphone, which is falling off. Anyway, so this, this throne is sitting up there. And what do you notice about it? I'll tell you what stuck out for me. What stuck out for me is that where's God in this image? What we have is a thing, a thing that represents where God might be or will be. God bless my grandparents for sharing 
God with me. I also have memories of Jesus as a shepherd holding sheep. Um, I, I know all the stories. Noah is always my favorite story uh, growing up. God rescuing humanity. I wouldn't be standing here today if they hadn't shared it. But my experience was that God was judging me. And from the memories of a small child until I was about 15 or 16, I'd always be praying in fear. God, please save me. It was very agnostic, much like Jimmy had been talking about. It was in my head and I didn't feel it in my body. And so that set me into a mode of anxiety where I was just living in this wondering, where is God? Is he care about me? But I couldn't hear him because I had no understanding for how God could even speak to me. He wasn't even there. That version of the story that I took on as my image of God, it starts in a place of brokenness, doesn't it? I can remember in their, in their home, they had this little framed verse and they had many of them throughout for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans three twenty three. It isn't that it isn't true. It's just that if somebody asked you to put together a piece of furniture, like if you went to Ikea and you bought a piece of furniture, where are you going to start? Do you start at number nine? Do you turn to the middle of the book or do you start at number one? I think Ikea is also a perfect modern day parable for us because you have to do a lot of interpretation to make that Ikalit set up in the right way, don't you? The same way we need to really dig deep into scripture. I hope I can give you a key today to unlock the repeating story of scripture that we hear right in Genesis. So what was your image of God? Do you guys want to share now? What image did you have? Did anyone have anything that they'd share? Mine was just a female voice. Thank you. Yeah. Anyone else? Some other common ones we get in the Bible, father. I already uh, gave it a little bit ahead of time. In the Simpsons, you have this finger of God that often comes down in the, in the cartoon and talks. A judge was the one I had. We also have a shepherd. Some people grew up with the blue-eyed uh, Jesus. Was it mother? As followers of Jesus, we're called to become like Christ, to be transformed. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says it this way, Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. It remains an abstract idea, a myth. If all you had to go on was your first image of God, what would you become? What would you think of God? How would it affect your development? How would you treat other people? In my grandparents' tradition, it was important to know when your understanding about Jesus became a heart thing. When you said yes, or maybe when you'd said a particular prayer. Today, I'm going to share a story of that time in my life, but not because I like it. I don't like this story. It's why I avoided, I think, teaching for so long. So when I was in high school, I had this job corn detasseling. Now, um, 
like I'm sure you've all seen a cornfield. It's this tall plant, like it's, like I have some growing in my garden right now. It's like nine feet tall. It's impossible, like you can't see over the top of it. Uh, when it's in a big field, you don't wanna go through it. The leaves are sharp, they'll like scratch your skin. It's hot out at the time when you have to go out in these fields. And uh, it's just, it's just impossible. It's 90 degrees. I was a teenager working with other teenagers and our job was to remove the flowers at the top of the plant so that they could be cross-pollinated, so that they could make the seed corn so that you could eat your corn flakes at home and your corn syrup and all that other fun stuff. But here's what I remembered. I remembered being a 17-year-old boy in that space and I was wrestling with God and praying with God and trying to figure out like, God, like what, how am I supposed to do this? Like, how do I get into a relationship with you? God gave me an image in that space. You see, I'd grown up in a Christian home, remember? I knew what a Christian looked like. I was a good little Christian boy. I didn't know Christ yet. And here I was with my peers, people that should have been my friends, and I can tell you the language they were using was blue and the things they were doing were not Christ-like. Mine might have been a little bit Christ-like, but it's just because I knew how to hide those things. I knew how to, you know, swear under my breath so that my parents wouldn't hear me or people wouldn't know that I wasn't being a good little boy. I just had this image that I needed Jesus, that I was no different than these other kids. I can see it now clear as day. I remember it when I shared it with my family, how overjoyed I was to understand that I could have a relationship with Jesus because I was no better than them. My image of God was of a judge and I judged them in my memory. I'd applied my image of God to myself. He judged me. I was no better then. I applied it to them. They were terrible. It's embarrassing. It's an embarrassing story for me even now as I tell it. Maybe you're having trouble sharing your experience because of the image of God that you have been given. Well, maybe you need to know it isn't the whole picture. So in the beginning, Genesis 1 and 2, we can read the account of creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day skipping to 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky 
and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. First off, the Israelites who would be hearing this, they would know the story. It mirrors the stories they would hear from their neighbors, the mythology of creation that they heard. That is until we start talking about the creation of humanity. Adam, the name that we give to a man here, is actually rarely used as a proper name in the Hebrew scripture. Instead, it refers to all of humanity, us, regardless of station, nation, gender, or creed. So when Adam was created in God's image, it said something. You see, their rulers were images, uh, were the, the rulers, um, sorry, Israel's neighbors, the rulers of those nations, their kings, they were known as the image bearers of God. They were, that's how they kept their power. That's how they gained their power. They claimed that they had something special, something that only they or maybe their family had. Only the king is made in the image of God. No, not so for Israel. Instead, the playing field is leveled. All humans are image bearers of the creator. And maybe you heard it when we switched from the first five verses to the second chunk. How God creates us, humanity, is different than everything else. Sarna, a Jewish scripture scholar, writes that in creating humanity, God moves from divine fiat in Genesis 1, speaking or magicking things into being, when he says, let there be light. It's a very impersonal command. Hey Siri, turn on the light. It would be like in the Ten Commandments, when Pharaoh issues a command, they would end it by saying, so let it be written, so let it be done. Pharaoh had spoken it, so it would happen. But Pharaoh didn't go do anything. Other people did the work, didn't they? Now God says, when it switches to humanity, let us make. Do you hear it? The verb becomes personal. Then they, God, get down into the dirt and make us, form us, creating us and breathing life into us. Genesis 2 says, uh, says it this way. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. God didn't create anything else like that. It surprised me when John Golden Gay, um, uh, Old Testament scholar, called it Magic. It's now moved to a personal level. 
from that, hey, Siri, turn on the lights to like actively getting down and putting pieces of Lego together on the floor, building something with your hands one by one, which is more personal, more connected, more involved and interested. And it doesn't end there. We read that God created us to partner with them in the stewardship and ongoing creation to build God's kingdom together. Are you hearing it? My spiritual siblings, you were made to bear God's image and to partner with God in the continuing mission to create, to build and to love. In Genesis three, the story goes on and it outlines how we were tricked and how under temptation, we failed to follow God's initial plan. But that isn't the first thing, is it? The first thing for all of us was that God created humanity to reflect God's image and to further God's will in relational, uh, in relation, full relational partnership. So how are we going to get back to that? Remember my image of God? It was absent. How do you build a relationship with someone who isn't there except to judge? The Bible is full of stories of God getting in front of people and inviting them into active partnership of them, both succeeding and failing. God invites Noah to save all the animals of creation. Abraham is invited to bless the whole earth and dialogues with God on a personal level. God wrestles, wrestles with Jacob <laughs> one to one. God speaks to Moses. God empowers Joseph. Again and again and again, we are reminded of how God has a plan to bless creation and to bring us forward from the garden to Garden City as we recognize who we were created to be and invite God to help us to be that. Ultimately, Jesus is our example. God so desired for us to be able to partner uh, in with him and to recognize that we were created, uh, that God sent Jesus Jesus was God determined to live amongst us and show us the way because we were created to live one way and sin prevents us from living that way. Jesus showed us to live here and how to live in the way we were created, giving us something to strive for a hope on the days when it all seems a bit too challenging, but a reminder, a King, God come to live simply in relationship with us as an encouragement to us, not just a savior for us. We're called to become like Christ because the kingdom life we are invited to live isn't just the best version of life that our modern day world has to offer. No, that is a pale shadow in comparison to the life that God has designed us for that Jesus knit us together for in our mother's womb. To do that, we need to get to know God, who God is. In Genesis, we learn that God physically got engaged with our creation. And now Jesus has come down into the neighborhood, into the mud to come here with us, to show us again, just how involved and intimate the relationship can be. During the time of Jesus, the religious rulers had switched the way they spoke about God. In the Hebrew scriptures, uh, they would use the word Yahweh when they wanted to refer to God as the God of Abraham, 
this God who made the promise, this God who came down and actually walked between the melting smoking pots, who reminded them of the promise at Mamre. And they switched it to this form, God Elohim, which was a reverent term of respect. They're both translated God, but Elohim is like saying, you know, it's, it's like your best friends with Quincy, but like, it's good to see you today, sir. Like it's kind of puts Quincy over here in this different place, right? It doesn't imply that maybe, you know, there's a relationship. It separates them from God. It kept them at a arm's length. Using those terms kept God up there in the same way ancient kings elevated themselves. And in that space, Jesus comes and he teaches his disciples, not just 12. Remember there were 72. They were sent out. And there were the crowds that followed him. And now there are us sitting here and at home. We're called to be disciples. And we're going to read in a moment, Matthew 6, if you want to turn there. But in there, we read that Jesus is using this term for God. He uses this term Abba. And we translate Abba as father. But the truth is, that we do not have a word to translate Abba in English. What it represents is the relationship that a parent has with a child that starts out with nonsensical babble. Da, de, de, wa, wa, wa. It becomes dada to daddy to dad. It is the relationship that tells the child, I am here to help you and to guide you, to provide for your every need, And then the voice that encourages every small step along the way, the voice that teaches love for others, the body that embraces a child every time they come home, no matter how long it's been or what they've done. Abba was a term used by toddlers and teenagers, but it represents the feeling, that relationship that was meant to serve as a reminder that God wants to be with you right here, right now helping you the way that a great parent would. No, the way a perfect parent would. Abba, Father. I'm going to read Matthew 6, starting in verse 5. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they receive their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our father in heaven hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The cycle of Genesis is repeated here. God provides for the image bearers, provide our daily bread Then you understand God's will through relationship and can carry it out on earth as it is in heaven. 
We recognize that even though we've been called to be image bearers, even though we've been invited, we haven't always gotten it right. And we acknowledge our own sin, uh, our own sin conscious or unconscious as failing in, <clears throat> as failing to the lies of the serpent or tempter. And then we ask for forgiveness. We ask help to avoid the temptations that we know will come tomorrow. But who, who are you asking? Abba, the parent who is there for every scraped knee, every new tooth, every broken heart, every new dream and celebration. Remember my story in a cornfield? This week, <laughs> to be clear, I preached this sermon two years ago, one very similar to it. But this week, God renewed my mind, my story in the cornfield, and showed me just how I was exactly like my co-workers, the teenagers, beautifully and wonderfully made. Each one of us now, with an Abba, a parent, seeking to hold our hands as toddlers and lead us towards him, trying to guide them and even inviting me to do the same, to encourage and bring life and love out into the world. The same invitation given to each one of God's children, us here now. Do you know what else I saw? <laughs> Didn't see the good little boy. I saw myself also this child, this Abba. The greatest tragedy, you know, that image of God that I had was for 10 years, I was judging myself as not good enough, trying to find more ways to pray, to read, to learn, to get to know God. And I was holding God over here because I was clearly not good enough to be in relationship with him. No, it wasn't until somebody started asking me questions. For me, it was a spiritual director. Um, I hope that today I can ask you some questions that might spark you to see God in a new way. But my image of God was put, uh, of, that I was putting on God was terrible. It wasn't accepting that a good parent helps a child. Isn't that a different type of judgment? I helped my son Mason to judge between right and wrong so that he doesn't hit his two-year-old brother, right? It's different. It's an altogether different image. God now in this memory is present, where before God was far away. Ab is just one other image for God, and there are many, more than 7 billion, if we talk about all the image bearers that there are walking around just today. God's inviting all of them to partnership in the renewal of all things. This week, I want you to think about how you pray. What name do you use for God? How does that name shape you to become like Christ? Because Jesus is the cornerstone, not just of the church, but of you. Go find one name, one name that you are not as aware of for God. There's some, I think we'll put up here on the screen. And this will be a resource that you can access later. Let Jesus ask the question. 
if Abba is like, I don't want to put an image in your mind, but if Abba is like that, what do I need to sacrifice to become like that? I'm going to invite you to close your eyes again. And I'm going to invite you just to massage one hand inside of another and feel it. Feel each finger. Remember, imagine a God that formed you. God created you, knit you together in your mother's womb. God created you to carry the image of love out into the world. God's spirit is gently inviting and encouraging and forming you even now. Maybe like me, you'll need to sacrifice the way you judge others. Let's pray. Holy creator, thank you. Thank you that out of chaos, you created beauty. And it didn't end there, God. You got down in the dirt and you made us because you wanted to know us intimately inside and out. I pray this week that you would give us eyes to see ourselves as reflections of you. Give us eyes to see you reflected on each of your beautiful children. And Lord, I pray that you would open our mind to new images of you so that we could be inspired and encouraged to grow more into your image, our original image. Amen.